Hi, I'm Tamar Rodney, and you're listening to On The Pulse, a podcast from the Johns Hopkins School of Nursing. On this podcast, we take a deep dive into the experiences of frontline providers and researchers. We explore their insights and invaluable stories of how healthcare works in today's world. Today's show will focus on building a just culture within healthcare and creating environments where we can reduce medical errors, improve systems for better outcomes, accountability, and the quality of care. We have heard in recent news about the nurse who was convicted of a criminally negligent homicide and impaired adult abuse after mistakenly administering the wrong medication that killed a patient in 2017. Now, this is a rare conviction, but it's also one that calls for us to reconsider how we ensure the accountability for everyone. We have two guests today joining us to discuss this very important topic. Jennifer Molesky is an assistant professor at the Johns Hopkins School of Nursing. She's a registered nurse and nurse educator, and her clinical expertise includes adult critical care, trauma, and nursing professional development. And Nicole Molenkoff, also an assistant professor at the Johns Hopkins School of Nursing. Nicole is a pharmacist with advanced education and experience in safe medication use, systems design. Thank you both for being here. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm delighted to be here. Wonderful. So can we start out by first, I'm going to ask both of you, what exactly is just culture in healthcare? Nicole? So just culture is about our system of workplace justice. It's about how and if people are blamed when something goes wrong. So we have to recognize that people are fallible. This means they make mistakes, they're not perfect. And at the same time, people also have a propensity to drift. And that means that as we get better at things or as production pressures occur in our workplace, we don't always follow the steps the way we may have learned or the way that we possibly should. Um, and so in a just culture, uh, this, this type of culture recognizes those two fundamental facts about the, the way our work takes place, and it creates accountability systems within that work, both at the individual level, so for the behavioral choices we make, but also at the organizational level, so the way that our work is designed and the way that we hold people accountable within those workplaces. That's really what Just Culture is all about. Thank you, Nicole, for saying that. And can I just follow up briefly by asking, what has your experience been as a pharmacist with Just Culture? So as a pharmacist, well, it, it, with my background, I was a medication safety officer for um, many years at the Johns Hopkins Hospital. I'm currently a patient safety specialist. And so I work very closely with the patient safety teams across Johns Hopkins at my practice site, uh, working on implementing Just Culture, but also importantly, looking at the way the system is designed and really trying to design the system so that it supports people in the work that they do every day. And Jennifer, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and how you have experienced Just Culture? Of course, thank you. Um, my name is Jennifer Molesky. I've been an ICU nurse for 14 years. Um, through that, I've floated through lots of different specialties, neurocardiac, uh, medical, surgical trauma, critical care transport, um, and 
After that, I went on to go into nursing professional development where I support new graduate nurses going into the ICU environment after graduation from nursing school. It was an interesting experience um, orienting them to the ICU environment during the COVID-19 pandemic. During that time, we were also very quickly orienting non-ICU nurses to the COVID um, ICUs. And now we are working on a program to more seamlessly transition new graduate nurses into the ICU environment, both at the Johns Hopkins Hospital and then also within community organizations um, throughout the state of Maryland. So lots of support of new graduates who used to be students yesterday, now they're nurses tomorrow and they're going into this highly complex, um, very high risk environment. And what just, just culture means is it is the shared accountability with the system and the individual to provide safe care, um, which is incredibly complex. The system is perfectly designed to produce the results that it gets. So the system and the leaders within the system have a responsibility to create a system where it is easy for practitioners to perform their jobs in a way that mistakes don't happen. On the other side of this, the practitioner has a responsibility to safe practice, to following policies, to speaking up, and a personal responsibility to make sure these things happen. Thank you. And obviously, two very fascinating backgrounds and somewhat different, but we're working towards the same goal. And Nicole, if I could move to you, I know we touched briefly on medical errors, and it's important to acknowledge that medical errors do happen in multiple settings, in our hospitals, clinics, and anywhere individuals can receive care. But we're human, and so mistakes do happen. But my question is, what types of systems do we currently have in place to do the best we can to prevent these errors? So when we look at the design of systems, we're thinking about, as Dr. Molesky said, how, how does the system support people to do their best work, right? So, I would say currently uh, we've got systems, especially technology-based systems like barcode med administration, smart infusion pump technology. We have the electronic health record, which, while not perfect, uh, has uh, many benefits. We have clinical decision support systems in place to help clinical decision-making at the prescribing level, at the level of verifying medications in the pharmacy, and also at the level of administering uh, medications as well. So, but all of these systems, they add a level of complexity. And furthermore, if they're not implemented consistently across different settings. So even within a hospital system, there could be areas where those technologies are not available. And so going back to what Dr. Molesky said with you know, organizationally, we have to look across all of these systems. So the expectation is that our leaders are looking across these systems proactively to identify areas where we need to do better. So if we've got systems in place in one part of the hospital, how do we ensure that those systems are adequately working in all areas? And then looking at the systems themselves, when we think about designing safe systems, it's looking at the socio-technical systems. So looking at those technologies and how do they fit within the work of the people doing that work every single day? and looking at how strong are those systems. Do the systems really prevent errors? So when I say prevent, I'm talking about reducing or eliminating the possibility of the error. This is really what we strive for. We're striving for systems that prevent people from doing the wrong thing or, or dramatically reduce the likelihood 
that a person is going to make a mistake, as opposed to systems that just put detection in place. So, so frequently when I was a medication safety officer, and even now as a, as a patient safety specialist, so frequently when I talk to uh, frontline folks about how mistakes occur, and then I ask, well, what can we do to prevent this? So frequently I hear, well, put an alert in. And I always push back on that idea. We don't want more alerts. We want more systems that are designed to prevent that problem from occurring, as opposed to a system that requires somebody in that moment when they're busy, when they're taking care of a patient that's crashing uh, rapidly, or maybe when there's a scenario where they have maybe less staff than, than they otherwise would be ideal. We don't want them to have to recognize one more thing. We want the system to actually support them to do that work in that moment seamlessly. Uh, so really focusing in on what those risk reduction strategies that we have in place look like, but also helping the frontline staff recognize the types of systems that optimally support their work when they're, when they're doing that work uh, during their busy days. Can I just follow? Because what I'm hearing is that we need to be proactive. That's one. But two, having the systems in place. But how do we draw attention that our healthcare workers know what's in place? How do we start doing that to say, this is here to help you? There are probably lots of answers to that. I would say one thing for sure is to get involved. If you, if there's a uh, safety committee or, you know, at Hopkins, we have what we call comprehensive unit-based safety programs. So this is a, a unit level safety program where frontline staff come together with leaders from either across the hospital, but certainly leaders in that particular unit and talk about safety problems and how to solve those safety problems, but also what is the current practice? Recently at my practice site and the, the health system that, that I work for, we uh, looked across uh, the system at our neuromuscular blocker practices. And that involved frontline nurses being a part of that evaluation. And again, pushing ourselves not to just put systems in place to remind us to do the right thing, but to actually help us and ensure that we're doing the right thing in that process. Thank you. It, I think it's so important to like state it in words and try to get everybody who's involved. So Jennifer, let me come to you. In your role, how do you think we could start thinking about the processes that lead to just culture? That's a great question. And piggybacking off of what Dr. Malenkoff just said, just culture is a culture. It is not a policy. It's not a something that's written in the books. It's a culture. We as humans operate in a system of trust. So I am going to report errors or I am going to report to my supervisor how I think the next patient is going to be hurt if I trust that person. It takes a really long time to build that trust. For example, I can walk into a classroom first day of semester one and say, hi, new students. My name is Dr. Jennifer Molesky and you can trust me. And they're going to look at me like I have six heads. That's it's simply not true. You have to build that trust. And the same is true in a healthcare system. When a practitioner or a nurse is making a decision about reporting, is making a decision about what to do with a patient, they are not making a decision just for themselves. They are making a decision 
for their entire network outside of work. So I do a lot of work on reporting of errors and confidence of new graduate nurses. And a lot of new graduate nurses say, I won't ask my preceptor a question because I'm scared of getting yelled at, or I won't ask my preceptor a question because I'm scared that they're going to think I'm dumb because I don't know X, Y, and Z. So that there's a trust dynamic there that if this person doesn't ask this question, then somebody could get hurt, but they're thinking about themselves, which is normal. We're human. There's a whole myriad of things that people are thinking about when they are having these conversations. When a nurse is making a decision to report a near miss or to report an actual error, they aren't making that decision just for themselves. We are in an imperfect system run by imperfect people with a lot of really unfair conflicting priorities because we are being pulled from every direction and no one is at fault there. Everyone is living here. We are wanting to do the best thing for our patients, but we're also wanting to do the best thing for our families. So just culture at its core is a culture of trust that if I do the right thing for my patient, it's not going to hurt my family. That's such an important message for us to say and reinforce um, trust because it's not very obvious. Um, but again, really highlighting that it's also a process. It's a process that multiple people are involved in to get right. And so my next question is, what could nurses specifically do to reinforce that we always have safe care and quality care for the persons we take care of? So working with new graduate nurses and nurses who were students yesterday and then their nurses tomorrow, the number one thing that I can encourage them to do is to create a community and to create a diverse community. What struck me most about this case was how normalized everything that was happening was to the nurse. And when you are a new graduate nurse, you don't know what you don't know. The new graduate has to be really careful in the information that they accept when they are in their new position. And they have to be very intentional to seek information from other sources. Um, so it is graduation season. I'm getting all of the emails that say, hey, Dr. Molesky, can we stay in contact after graduation? Always, of course you may. There is no statute of limitations on that. 10 years from now, email me. Sometimes this comes with a follow-up of, oh good, so you can continue to push me information. No that part of my of our relationship is over now we didn't teach you what to think at hopkins we taught you how to think so that means you are seeking professional organizations you are seeking mentors from all sorts of different areas you are seeking information and bringing it into your position because with the education that you just received at hopkins you are a thought leader and you are going to be a culture leader and you are going to be swimming upstream against some really weird practices and you are going to be the change agent. Um, when I think of mentors, I think of a boardroom in my brain. So if this boardroom has six chairs and all six chairs, every single person is saying the exact same thing, there's five too many people at that table. So within professional organizations, um, within mentors who work at different health systems, hospitals, within previous professors, if you email, email me and I don't know the answer, I know an expert here who does, and I can get you an answer really, really quickly. So just maintaining that diversity of insight into your practice and not falling into the trap of going with the herd mentality. 
Thank you, Dr. Molesky. That was super. And I would encourage students as you, you know, take in what Dr. Molesky said, I would say concurrently, recognize that you will drift. When we say drift, drift just means moving away from what we were taught, right? So over time, doing things differently than the quote unquote right way. Now, sometimes that is okay to drift, uh, but sometimes it's not. And if you understand just culture and you understand that we drift and we're not perfect and build that into your practice, focus on how do I create a practice for myself that, that is built on those two tenants. For example, I still practice as a pharmacist eight hours a month in a pharmacy. And when I'm working as a pharmacist, I still read every single alert. Even the alerts that I've seen before, I stop, I force myself to read those alerts. Even when I'm busy, even when I think I know what the alert says, I force myself to do that. That's creating a behavior at my individual level that is honed and is repeated. And now for me, it's automatic. And that's one of the things that you really wanna do. Coupling that with all the great advice that Dr. Molesky just gave, and in addition to getting involved. So getting involved at the organizational level, wherever you work, speaking up, speaking up when you see these practices that you know are not right, speaking up and, and figuring out how can you get involved to redesign the system so that you don't have to avoid those practices because those practices just aren't part of the way we do things around here. So it's kind of that whole continuum of what is your individual practice going to look like and how do you build upon that individual practice to change the practice of the, the folks that you work with. Culture is not a static thing. We don't achieve a just culture. We're constantly working towards a just culture. We're always trying to build upon the practices of the day before and, and make that, that culture as just as possible. Thank you both for your very useful insights and very concrete examples of how we can um, work towards a just culture. As we said, it's not static, it's a process. How can we explain to others why is just culture so important? I think an important tenet of just culture is avoiding outcome bias. And this is why just culture is so important. Outcome bias is when we pay attention and possibly punish individuals based on the outcome. So the outcome being maybe a patient is seriously harmed or the patient dies. Rather than focusing on the behavior or the conduct. So the behavior or conduct could be not reading the medication label or bypassing an alert without fully reading or considering that alert. So basically it's the underlying conduct that does not fit with the culture, but in a system that is not just, the conduct is only addressed when something very bad goes wrong. And that's the fundamental reason why just culture is so important. It's just not fair. It comes down to luck. It's, it's uh, you know, a system where whether the outcome is bad or not, it's just not a fair way to treat the people that work within that system. In a just system, we monitor the practice. We don't just monitor the outcomes, we monitor the practice. So this would be periodically checking or auditing to see whether or not your pharmacists, for example, are reviewing alerts or whether or not nurses, for example, are reading labels. So this helps to not only assure that people are making good behavioral choices, so they're actually following through on those important elements of the system and that 
you know, making those good behavioral choices. But also this is important because we're more likely to find problems up front and redesign the system such that it actually supports the people working within that system. So from my perspective, I think the real key um, with just culture is having this focus where we're looking at the behavior and the conduct as opposed to the outcomes associated with that. And that's gonna create fairness for the people within the system, but it's also gonna allow us to design the system in a way that supports the people within that system. That's so true. You say it so nicely, um, but um, you're spot on. Jennifer, anything to add? Just culture is so important because it's proactive rather than reactive. We should not have to have a certain quota of patients get hurt before we start examining something. We need to be consistently examining our systems to ensure that our patients are getting the safest quality care because that's the care that they are trusting us to give them. Once we develop a or live in a reactive system, it becomes an us versus them mentality and then we all lose. We automatically lose in that mentality. There's a loss of trust. It tends to be very just pervasive. It's not a pleasant place to work and patients are going to get hurt. We need to be working together toward a common goal, recognizing that we're all a dynamic part of this system, that this is a system that ebbs and flows. It's never, ever going to be linear. And because of the complexities and the unexpected variables within that system, we need to be constantly striving to make it better. So as we close today, are there any final thoughts that you would want to share about how do we get to a space of just culture? So just remembering that your patients and the organizations where you work um, didn't read the textbook. So your patients aren't going to present exactly the way they did in the textbook or on the exams. There is so much room for complexity and nuance there because we're dealing with people. When you have an experience in your new grad job where the principles um, aren't 100% aligning with what you learned in school. That's normal. It's expected. Ask questions and be the deep thinker that you are, that you were taught to be. Look at all of your resources. Look at all of the complexities of that particular situation and make a decision based on all of that information. And I would add, expect that you will encounter problems, expect errors, seek out information about how errors occur. So subscribe to the newsletters that talk about how medication errors happen or how medical error happens, and then engage in those safe practice recommendations that you read about, learn about that stuff, but also learn to hear the concerns of the people around you so be open to that. And I think that's what Dr. Molesky was saying. Be open to, there are other ways of thinking about things. And if you encounter problems that others maybe don't share your view, speak up and, and talk through them. It's all about creating dialogue with each other so that we can go forth and build those better systems. There are no perfect systems out there. Trust me, there, there are, they don't exist, but that's what we're here for. We're all here to work together to change the, the process as it is now and make it better for ourselves, our future patients, and for those that come after us. And one final, final thought I have is make sure you're supporting each other. Support others when things go wrong, especially if someone is harmed. 
I'm, I know you've all heard of this idea of the second victim. Clearly the patient that's harmed is the first victim, but all of us get into healthcare because we want to help people. And when we harm people inadvertently, it's devastating. So support those people around you and, and um, treat them the, the way you would want to be treated if you found yourself in that similar situation. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Malensky. Thank you, Dr. Malenkov, for discussing this very interesting, but also timely topic in healthcare. I think that nurses, actually all health professionals, need to know that they're supported, that they're not alone, and that they're needed now more than ever to improve healthcare. And there is certainly more that we can do to advance accountability for all and to ensure just culture for patients, not just for patients, but our healthcare professionals, as well as our society. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you to everyone for listening to this episode of On The Pulse. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with someone you know and subscribe through Apple, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify. You can also find us on the Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com slash nurse. Be sure to also check out our On The Pulse blog and Facebook live series. You can also learn more about the Johns Hopkins School of Nursing at nursing.jhu.edu. Thanks for listening to this episode of On The Pulse. Healthcare models across the United States are rapidly shifting from models of volume to models of value, and clinical nurse specialists are well positioned to make these frontline evolutionary advances. At the Johns Hopkins School of Nursing, we offer multiple online tracks to specialize your clinical nurse specialist degree, including adult critical care, pediatric critical care, and adult gerontological health. The clinical nurse specialist tracks at the Johns Hopkins School of Nursing are designed for RNs with a BSN or entry-level MSN degree. Clinical nurse specialists champion safe, cost-effective, high-quality, and evidence-based healthcare. Visit nursing.jhu.edu slash on the pulse to see how you can become a CNS today.